draw our conversations to a, a close. Hey, if you've got more to say, just say, hey, let's finish this over at lunch this afternoon. Go out for lunch with somebody, right? Well, I appreciate our worship team as always. Thank you, Amanda, and the rest of the crew that were up here. Um, I, I've noticed um, we live in a society, a culture, where people crave new stuff, right? Have you noticed that? People want new stuff. Um, everybody wants, like, new clothes or this time of year, there's a whole lot of adverts on TV for new cars, um, new jobs, a new house, a new wife, a new husband, we'll leave that one, a new church. There's something intrinsically give, put inside us that we crave something new. Like, for example, uh, if you go shopping with your kids around the, the, the Pineville shopping mall, suddenly, out of nowhere, they never expressed this before, but suddenly they have this absolute need for that item in the window there. I've been needing that for like five years, Dad. Can we go get it now? Or if you take your husband to the Bass Pro Shop, suddenly he needs three new guns, a new canoe, and a new tent. Come on. And I want to tell you something. That desire for something new was put there by God. Now, that's not a license to go to Bass Pro Shop, buy three new guns, a canoe, and a tent, okay? I'm amazed how much new stuff we need from a shop called Ulta Beauty in, in uh, Indian land. Apparently, we always need new stuff from Ulta. I walk in there, and the aroma almost knocks me out. And there's ladies walking around spraying bottles saying, would you like to try this one, sample this one? Or apparently we need that one, that one, and that one. But see, this, God put this thing inside us that he created us to, to crave and desire and long for the, the new things. But what happens with everything God does, everything God does, the enemy does a counterfeit of it. Now, I'm not saying that your desire for three new guns, a canoe, and a tent is from God. I'm not saying it's from the devil either. It's just more of a, uh, an image to make, to make a point. But right from the start, God's plan was for us to have the newness of Him. The new things of God. What God is doing. The, 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 new, the, the new moves of God. The new calls of God. He cre he's put that in us. There's that scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, if any man or any woman is in Christ, they are what? A new creature or a new creation. It goes on to say, the old things have passed away. And then Paul used this amazing word. He says, behold. Now this is a Greek demonstrative particle. That's what it's called in uh, language. And it, it's a word that's positioned there to draw the reader's attention to what's about to be said. So, as parents, we use these a lot. Oi! Stop! Hey! Well, Paul uses this word, behold! 
And then he goes on to say, new things have come. If any man or any woman is in Christ, they're a new creation. Behold, demonstrative particle, all things are new or new things are to come. Now hold that thought for a minute and let's go to Isaiah chapter 43. And we're going to read verse 18 and 19 there. Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. Isaiah says, Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Then he says this, Behold, I will do a new thing. It will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. So, I believe one of the Behold moments for a church. One of the spring forth issues for a church is something called unity. And I've been pondering something for a couple of weeks. Why has John had us or encouraged us to read Proverbs every day in our homes? And I'm sure there's a a number of different things that God's put in his heart. But I realize this. As a church family, we are in absolute unity in reading the Word of God. If, in fact, you are participating in this, maybe you're not able to. Maybe you have forgotten or whatever. But if tomorrow morning you read uh, Proverbs chapter 22 and everyone else is here is reading that in their homes, what's happening? There is a unity in Scripture reading that's happening in this body of Christ. And what I'd like to share with us this morning is some of the blessings that come when we grab hold of the unity of God. When we take hold of the unity of God. Now this may not be a new thing for you. You may have heard about unity many times before. You may have heard teachings far better than this one on unity in the body of Christ and unity in your home and unity between you and God. But it's the beginning of the year. And I want to share this new thing. I believe this is a behold moment for us as a church family. If we can really get to grips with this understanding of how important unity is in this body. Just again, turn your neck to the left for three seconds. 90 degrees. Means you've got to look at somebody. Turn your neck 90 degrees to the right for three seconds. These are the people... That God is calling you to be in unity with. These are the ones that God has placed you with to be in unity with. (coughs) So I want to encourage us today. And I'm going to really encourage us to allow unity to flow through our church body. And I want to share four, five, or six blessings that come. Things that you can expect if you say, Okay, I'll be in unity with these ones. Yep, I'll be in unity with these ones. There are blessings that come. Our main scripture today is Psalm 133. So if you want to turn there, and if you don't, they'll put the words up on the screen for you. Let me throw this in here. Before we can be effective in prayer, worship, evangelism, the prophetic ministry, any, anything that God calls us to, before we can be effective in those things, we have to be in unity. Without unity, those things only flow as a one-man show or a one-woman show. As soon as there's unity involved, one puts a thousand to flight, 
2 puts 10,000 to flight. The scripture is laden with principles and, and verses that push us towards being in unity together. Psalm 133, this is my favorite one of them though. David starts this, this psalm with the same word. Behold! It's a different language to the one Paul used in the New Testament. We've got New Testament Greek, behold. Here we've got, we've got biblical Hebrew, behold. But it's the same meaning. It has that, that same principle in the language. It's a demonstrative particle that says, hey, wake up. What I'm about to tell you is really, really important. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edges of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commands his blessing, life forevermore. So right here, David, ushered in by behold, is about to share the wonderful position of unity. And he says we need to take notice of it. Let the penny drop. Unity, I believe, should be one of our primary characteristics as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ. One of our core qualities should be that we understand and embrace unity. It should be a true characteristic of the church, of our families, and even of us individually wanting to be in unity. You see, we should not be divided by denominational lines. Well, but you don't know what they believe about this. Well, I probably do. But how about we major on the majors, minor on the minors, and realize that when we get to heaven, some of those beep denominational people are going to be there with you. Oh, my goodness. And there's not going to be a Southern Baptist section and a holiness Pentecostal section, and a Methodist section, and a whatever we are, non-denominational, woohoo, crazy section. There's not going to be all these different sections. We're all going to be up there together. <laughs> saying, behold, how good and pleasant it is for Baptists and Methodists and non-denominationalists and Catholics and everything else to dwell together in unity. I threw the C word in there because I knew it would bug some of you. <laughs> They're going to be there. Some of the most godly, spirit-filled people I've met have been Catholic as their primary tradition. So get over yourself. This is unity. Or we can be so small-minded, we say, well, you know, us little 60, 70 people here, we've got it right. We're just going to follow and pursue what we've got because we've got it right. Everybody else, they can do whatever they like. Do you know something? Every church has got some stuff right and some stuff wrong. That's just how it is in the body of Christ. And that's why we need diversity in the body so we can bring together, come together in unity, and together we have a bigger picture. Amen? Woo! Some of you love that, and some of you are like, I hope this finishes soon. I want to get out of here. Now notice, we are not told to put up with each other in unity. We're not told to endure each other in unity. And we're not told to just about get along enough to survive life in unity. We are called right here. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, dwell, it gives the understanding of sitting down, hanging out. In the Hebrew, it's the word yoshab. 
And it carries with it the inference of peacefully abiding together where the dwellers really share life together. Now some people think that what we're doing right now is dwelling together in unity. If this is it, we've missed it. This is not it. So I was thinking, how can I explain this? So when I was uh, a teenager in high school, my main instrument was the saxophone. And in England, we had grades in music. So every music, whatever instrument you played, saxophone, piano, flute, guitar, you went through the same grading system. Grade one was for beginners. And every instrument was the same thing. You completed grade one when you could flawlessly play twinkle, twinkle, little star on your instrument. So you had kids with their little recorders going, oh no, you're not grade one yet, you got it wrong. So that was grade one. And all through the grades, grade eight was where you could play along to a piece of Rachmaninoff or a Beethoven symphony or something like that. I got up to about grade seven and then I stopped. But that was, they're the grade systems. Us sitting here today, do you mind if I sit here for one minute? Would that be okay? Thank you. Us sitting here today in church, this is like playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on our recorder. Yes, it's a part of unity. Yes, it's critical, but it's level one. It's the very basic. And if this is what you're doing, it's the bare minimum. This isn't dwelling together. This is hanging out for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's literally sharing portions of life, sharing elements of life. Yes, this is one of them. And I'm not putting this down. This is so vitally important. I am an absolute believer in the gathering of the saints. Unequivocally, it's, it's so important. But if this is where we stop in our level of unity, we'll miss the power of God flowing through our body. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Figure in your mind, how can I really look around this room? How can I learn to dwell in unity with these brothers and sisters in this church? And this position is enforced when David says we're to dwell together in unity. You don't dwell by yourself in unity. You dwell together in unity. Now, let me distinguish something here. It's not dwelling together or wearing the same uniform. It's not uniformity. It's not everyone trying to be like this person or everyone has to be like that person. Thank you, son. I appreciate it. Unity is vastly different from uniformity. Uniformity says you all have to behave exactly the same way because this is our company policy. You may work for a company like that. You have to dress the same way. I, I was shocked when I moved to America over a number of things, actually. <laughs> but one of my biggest shocks, see, in England, when you go to a bank, a bank is a very proper formal institution. So when you go to a bank... Everyone in the bank is dressed in a bank uniform in England. And um, people are not dressed casually in a bank. Actually, when you go meet the bank manager, you don't go in in your shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops. You wear a tie and a jacket if you go to your bank manager because you want to respect that institution as it's respecting itself with some level of uniformity. I, I moved to America, moved to Texas first. 
And we, we came, it was about the October time, so it was kind of like, I'm not a big Halloween person, but we're not going to challenge that one right now, but it was around that time. And I walked into the bank for the first time to make my first deposit, actually to open an account, and I'm greeted by a Teletubby, <laughs> by Spider-Man, and by somebody dressed up as a witch. And I went outside, I thought maybe I came in the wrong building. I went outside and I looked at the sign and it said it was the bank. So I walked in again, I thought maybe I'm imagining things. I walked in again and there's still a te Teletubby, Spider-Man and someone dressed up as a witch. So I went to the counter. I was like, well, who do I go to? I'm not going to the witch, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. <laughs> I'm not sure about Teletubbies, I've heard some sinister things about them. So I guess I'm left with Spider-Man. So I went up to Spider-Man. I said, excuse me, Mr. Um, what do I call you? Spider-Man? Because he had a badge on that same, said, uh, my name is Steve. I didn't know that was Spider-Man. So I said, I call you Steve or spider He said, just call me Steve. I said, I'm here to open an account. Um, is this the wrong day? <laughs> you see, I, I have no idea. Why am I even talking about this? What does this have to do with dwelling together? Anyway, so I was, had all these shocks when I first came to America. That was one of the, oh, uniformity. I was expecting uniformity when I walked into a bank. I was expecting all the cashiers, everyone to have the same shirt on, the same trousers on, and the same fake smile on. But they didn't. I had Teletubbies and witches and Superman and other things as well. And you see, the church, we don't have to be all dressed up the same. You are you. God made you totally unique. I love this guy right here. I know he gets picked on a lot, but I want to honor him. Because I, I go to the gym, and then one reason I love this guy is he inspires my boys to do better at the gym. Because they, they know I'm not a bench presser, right? So you just look at me. I'm not built to bench press. I do other stuff at the gym. I, I grab a chocolate chip cookie, and I cycle. I'm a kid. I don't. I don't. That's not me. I have seen people do that, sitting on the bike at the gym with a big chocolate chip cookie. But my boys love the idea of bench pressing, so I just, I'm thankful for this guy. You see, he's different from me. As I look around this room, I'm thankful for this guy right here, Doug Smith. Doug Smith is one of the coolest, most genuine people you or me. I'm just so thankful that I'm not him and he's not me, that God's made us different. We've learned to dwell together in unity. I'm thankful for this real cool lady back here, Miss Vicky. She is like an inspiration. Just inspiration. I'm so thankful. But we're not the same. Like, could you imagine? Just stand up for one minute, Miss Vicky. Would you do that? Could you imagine me turning up today in a sparkly outfit like this? Because that's what we do when you, when you minister here, you have to dress the same. And Miss Vicky sets the benchmark because she's the coolest one here. Thank you. Oh, yes. you'd, be like, you'd be like, what is going on? Why is Matt wearing all those sequins and things? Is he going Liberace on us or something? See, unity is not uniformity. Unity is a heart issue. You may not look the same outside. You may not even believe the same things about the end times and about what's happening in Israel and what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. You might have a totally different view from each other and yet you can still be in unity. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for men and women of God, followers of Christ, to dwell, share life together in unity. I'm going to have to skip through a few things, otherwise we'll be here a bit too long. What I'd like to do, let's, let's do this. Let me share four or five blessings that come. If you will embrace this, if you say, okay, I'm going to put aside my preferences. 
because I don't like premillennialists, so I don't want to talk to them. I'm going to put that preference aside, or I'll put aside this preference of this person's view on Israel in the end times, and I'm going to learn just to love and dwell together with this group of people in this room. I tell you, if, that, if we could do that, if we could all take our preferential caps off, open our hearts up to dwell together in unity, things would explode. And when I say, I'm not talking about, oh, the pews will be full, three services, and all that. I'm talking about what would happen outside of these walls, what would happen out there through this band of brothers and sisters. So here we go. Number one, unity releases the goodness of God. I love that we finished on that song. Your goodness is running after me, running after me. It's scriptural. The Bible says goodness and mercy or goodness and faithfulness or the goodness, the goodness of God and the mercy of God pursue you all the days of your life. But unity brings about God's goodness. Well, I'm, I can't do that because I'm, I'm offended with that one over there. I still come to church here, but I'm really offended with that one. Dwell together in unity. I can't, uh, uh, I, I'm a bit suspicious about that one. They came in the church and they've kind of been behaving like this. I'm just a bit suspicious about that one. Get over yourself. Dwell together in unity. Well, I got hurt. You, you, you don't know how hurt I got. Oh, my goodness. I've been so hurt by the church. I was so hurt by that one. So hurt by that, that person on that third row from the left, uh, fourth seat back. I, I was really hurt by that. Dwell together in unity. I'm just mad. I'm just mad at that person there. I'm mad at that group over there and that team there. Just dwell together in unity. Doesn't mean any of those feelings are invalid. Listen, we all have the opportunity to get offended, to get mad, to be suspicious, or to be hurt. But there's no get out of jail free card. There's no, I, I haven't found a scripture that says, if you're offended with your English brother, you don't have to dwell together in unity with him. Offense, it, it eradicates that requirement from you. Or if you're mad at the preacher after you led such incredible worship, uh, you don't have to dwell together in unity with the rest. There's nothing like that in the Bible. It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There's no get out of jail free card. There's no exclusion for there. And it says, for there the Lord commands the blessing. And blessing number one is God's goodness. And what we've done, we've devalued the currency of the word good. How was your burrito yesterday? Good. How are you feeling today? Oh, good. How's that bar of chocolate you're eating? Oh, good. How was your vacation? Oh, well, it was good. Like, it could mean anything. It could mean anything from it was terrible to it was incredible. But we've devalued this, the currency of this word because the Bible says that God is good. But I know this. God is a lot better than a burrito. And I lived in Texas for a few years and I've had some good burritos. But God is a whole lot better than any burrito I've had. I, I love chocolate. Now, I will say I do not consider Hershey's to be chocolate. You may stone me now if you want. <laughs> but I'd not consider Hershey's to be chocolate. I'm talking about chocolate. Real chocolate. Like European 
classy, quality, rich, creamy, delicious chocolate. Hershey's is none of those things. I won't tell you what I describe Hershey's as because it's kind of vulgar and we don't want that in the church. But how dare I compare God to chocolate? God, God is way, his goodness is way beyond that. And so let's scratch out. When I say unity releases God's goodness, don't think about burritos and chocolate and your latest vacation and your new car. Think about much vaster than that. God is good. And when we're in unity, the goodness of God, the blessings of God, the goodness of who He is, His character, His attributes, who the very essence of who He is, is released in a body when unity flows. There's something so powerful about that. The Bible says when God created the earth, he said, now that's good stuff. That is good. <coughs> God is good. His loving kindness is good. And when he sees us in unity, he declares how good what he sees is. Biblical godly goodness is excellence. It's richness, it's value at every level, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritual. Every level is where the goodness of God touches. And listen, I've had some real good chocolate in my time, but it doesn't touch me at that level. Only the goodness of God touches us at that level. And I've got to say, I want more of the goodness of God in my life, in my family's life, in this church's life. And the key to unlocking that is unity. Behold how good it is when? When brethren dwell together in unity. The second blessing of unity is that the unity of God restores kingdom pleasure. Now listen, pleasure, the world will tell you that pleasure is about you alone. The pleasure is just about you feeling good. In different ways. That's what the world says pleasure is. But pleasure is not just about you. So this, there's a, this word here, pleasant, this Hebrew word has three meanings. Meaning number one for pleasure or pleasant is it's describing a harmony of music. So I'm not sure if you're into classical music. There's, there's some classical music. I just love some classical music. Uh, my kids and my wife will tell you my favorite piece of music is Mendelssohn's Hebrides Overture. And there's a particular piece in there called Fingal's Cave. And it is magnificent. And it starts off just with one instrument playing the main line. And then other instruments come in. And by the end of it, there's this huge crescendo of orchestra instruments. And it's just, you can imagine, we, I listen to this music in my office. I've got an old-fashioned record player, and I put that thing on. It's a little bit crackly. And I listen by the end, when that music hits that crescendo, I just imagine Moses parting the Red Sea, or Jesus giving it up on the cross, or some incredible thing happening. Because when, when, when instruments come together, when there's this harmony and crescendo in music, it just stirs something in us that we know God's doing something. That's what this word means when it says pleasure. Behold how good and pleasant it is. It's like a harmony crescendo that reaches its peak point. Another meaning in the Hebrew language is for, for this word pleasure is it's when a cornfield is fully ripe 
for harvest. When those corn heads just start to, they're so heavy laden, they just start to bow. The, the Hebrew people say, oh, that's a pleasant field. Right there's a pleasant field. There's pleasure right there because there's a fullness and a bounty. And then the, the third uh, time, this, the third way this word was used in the Hebrew language is when people would taste a particular thing. And that is when they would taste honey. Not when they would taste raw sugar, not when they would taste maple syrup, but when they tasted pure honey. And they would take that honey. <gasps> That's pleasant. That's the word that's used right here. And it says, behold how good and pleasant it is. It's a word that described harmony in music, ripeness of the cornfields, and the sweetness of honey. You see, unity is pleasant to God. When we're in unity, it's pleasant to God. It's harmony, ripeness, and sweetness to God. It's the same, same way that parents, I, we love it when our kids are in unity. Sometimes we'll, we'll sit in the family room, the kids will be in the kitchen, and all we hear is, and it's like, oh my goodness. But then sometimes it'll be just sweet unity around. They'll be doing a game together or talking about something. There's a unity there. And it's so pleasant to us as mum and dad, right? It's like the sweetness of honey. It's like the fullness of a... Uh, a field of grain. It's like harmony of music. Well, that's how God is when we're in unity. There's a pleasure that he gets. But it's also pleasant to us. When we're in unity, we have this sense of harmony and fullness and sweetness together. There's not a striving and a com competition and a, a kind of a, 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 an angst with each other. But there's just this harmony with each other. It's a beautiful thing. And then it's pleasant to others. When the church is in unity, the harmony, the fullness, and the sweetness affects the community. I don't know if you know this, but churches are watched very carefully. And I'm not talking about the government. I always feel like somebody's watching me. I'm not talking about the, the government and their satellites in the sky and all that sort of thing. I mean the community is watching. Communities watch churches. Let me tell you, I'm just going to be... Let's, let's practicalize this. People watch how you pull out of that driveway after church. Now, I know it's tough. I'm there and it's like cars coming past. And I, I can make it. I can, oh, no. I mean, if, I make, if I do that one, that's really going to annoy somebody. And then that will give the church a bad name. E every avenue, people are watching the church. Let's give them something sweet, harmonious, and full to see. And how do we do that? By being in unity. Because unity brings God's goodness and it releases his pleasure. Thirdly, unity allows for the anointing of God to come. It says there, it's like the precious oil upon the head coming down the beard, even Aaron's beard, flowing all the way to the edges of his robes. Now, I am sure <clears throat> if you've been in Christian circles for any length of time, you've heard, seen, and tasted the word unit, uh, 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 anointing many, many times. And um, I will tell you, I've, I've seen things on it and descriptions that have been given. I would just say that, that's not anointed. I'd just like to share with you about the oil. Maybe just to give you a fresh perspective on anointing. Because this wasn't, when he talks about the oil on 
on Aaron's head flowing down his beard and down his clothes. He wasn't talking about cooking oil. And for you purists, it wasn't olive oil or avocado oil either. It's amazing to me that the scriptures compare unity with this anointing oil. Let me describe anointing oil and how they would make it. See, when we anoint people with oil, like I'm not sure in this church, but in a lot of churches, that you get a little tiny vial about that tall, maybe about five mils of oil in it, and then we, uh, we uh, tip it over, get a little dab, and we say, in the name of Jesus, I anoint you. And that's all they get. Because this thing cost me $7.99, not $700, no, $7.99. I'm not, I'm not wasting this, because if I do that, then I can say, oh, there's enough here, I, I, I anoint you. Oh, it's a bit much there. Can I have some of that? I've put a bit too much there. There you go, I anoint you as well. <laughs> you see, that's not how it was in biblical times. Okay, this is how they made the anointing oil, the, the holy precious oil in the tabernacle. First, it wasn't made in small quantities. First of all, they would get together about 37 pounds in weight of spices, ground up spices. They would have myrrh and cinnamon and cane and cassia and a number of other spices. All these different spices would be mixed together in a bowl, 37 pounds in weight. They measured it in shekels. There were 500 shekels of this, 250 shekels of this, 250 of this, etc. It works out to about 37 pounds in weight. And then they would get five quarts of oil, of high-quality oil, and pour it into this mixture of spices. And they would mix it up. And then they've got this big bucket. Five quarts plus 37 pounds. And then... They would use it profusely. So could you imagine us having an altar call? We want to anoint people with oil. Everyone's thinking, okay, I'll get my little dab. I'll get my dab. And everyone comes up here. And then suddenly John comes out of the kitchen. I don't even know what this room is. I've never been in here. Can I take a peek? Yeah, it's a kitchen. So John comes out here with a big old bucket. And he says, oh, you want to be anointed? Here we go. This is the Bible way of anointing. He doesn't go like this, dab, dab. He gets his bucket, he lifts it, and he starts to pour it on your head. That is how they anointed people in biblical times. And the, the oil, this beautiful scent of myrrh and cinnamon and other spices mixed with the oil. The fragrance was incredible. I actually had somebody once give me a vase of oil and say, use it sparingly because I bought that back from Israel. That's so unscriptural, so unbiblical to use it sparingly. They would pour this stuff out. And first, they wouldn't try to dump it. It's not like one of those uh, game shows where they just kind of dump the goop on you. But they would just pour it slowly on the head. And they would let it settle into the hair. And eventually it filled up the hair so much it would drip down the face into the beard. And then down the clothes, all the way down the priest's robe. See, once the oil was poured... There was no stopping it from flowing. It might have seemed messy, and some would say wasteful, but we know from Jesus' response in Luke chapter 7 when Mary comes to his feet and she has that oil and she just dumps it, breaks the vial over on his feet. Then God doesn't seem to care about messy or wasteful in certain things. When it comes to anointing, he's not like, well, I've got a limited amount here, so you can have a dab, you can have a dab, and a little dab will do you as well. And that's all you need. God's okay with mess and waste when it comes to anointing 
because he doesn't see it as mess and waste. That's how it's supposed to be. And the scripture tells us that when we dwell together in unity, that's what it's like. It's like it releases the anointing of God. It's like oil dripping down this church family. And if we want that level of anointing, true kingdom biblical anointing, we have to embrace unity. You won't get it by, you can go home, mix up all the ingredients I've told you, dunk it over your head, and nothing ain't changing. But if you dwell, if we dwell together in unity, I tell you, there's going to be an anointing in the Spirit that we will experience that will blow our little minds. It's incredible. And this anointing, it flows to every part of our life. Because remember, unity is when we don't just do church together, when we dwell together. So you'll experience that anointing when you go out for supper or dinner or have someone out around your house for dinner. You'll experience that anointing when you get your kids together with other families in the church. You'll experience that anointing when you come to, come to a church work days and help with this, that, or the other. Every element of life, you'll experience that anointing because you've embraced God's unity. i got three more, but we'll just do one more. Unity allows for the due, D-E-W, of God to be released. It says that unity is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. The Bible says unity is refreshing like the dew. It's full of life and growth for every plant that it touches. Tali, would you just give me a wave? That's my daughter Talia over there. The Hebrew word for, t for dew is the Hebrew word tal, T-A-L. That's where we got her name from. It means dew of heaven. So she's our little, little piece of dew from heaven over there. You see, God's dew is not common dew. It's compared to the dew of Hermon, which just like the oil which flowed from the hair down the beard, down the robes, the, 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 the dew of Hermon, it says it flowed down the mountain of Zion. And the dew of the Lord the refreshing of the Lord, that life-giving element of the Lord is released when we're in unity. Isn't that incredible? Not only is the anointing of God, but the refreshing dew of God. And as I talk to Christians, not just here, but in this nation, pastors around this nation and others around the world, I believe there is a need right now for the body of Christ to be refreshed. We hear the phrase times of refreshing and we've made it into conferences and books and CD series and all this sorts of thing. But they don't do CD series anymore, do they? But podcast series and all that sort of stuff. But times of refreshing doesn't have to be that complicated. But I hear it all the time right now. People just weary, wanting to be refreshed. One of the biggest answers Scripture gives us, if you are ready and need to be refreshed, is unity. So I'm going to wrap it up. I had some other things to share, but I'm going to wrap it up there. I feel that's where the Lord would have us stop. And I'd like us to pray for refreshing. Maybe you want anointing. Maybe you want the goodness or the, the pleasantness of the Lord. And you can pray for those things as well. But I just want to pray for a few moments.
for the freshness of the Lord, the refreshing of God, the dew of the Lord to come. So if, you could, if we could just stand, I'm, I'm the only one standing right now, but if we could stand up together. And just as we started in surrender to the Lord with our hands raised, if you're okay to do that, it's not a, this is not a uniformity thing. It's not a sign of your unity or anything. But if you, if you feel comfortable raising your hands, maybe you just need refreshment right now. The refreshment of the Lord in your life. Just lift your hands. I'm going to pray for us. I, I just My card's on the table. I, I, I could do with some refreshing of the Lord right now. So my hands are raised intentionally. Lord, I, we come to you as a family. We thank you for what you've built here. We know you've built this. We thank you for John and Christine's faithful leadership, past, present, and future. We thank you that they lean on you for refreshing. And even as we stand now saying we need to be refreshed, we pray that you'd refresh them. Such a precious, beautiful couple. Let your refreshing come to them. But Lord, here we are, this group of individuals that love you, that call ourselves together Christ Fellowship. Lord, we say we, we're here because we need some refreshing right now. We just desire the dew, the dew of God, the tile of God to, to come upon us, to be released upon us. So Lord, we commit now to, and you don't have to say this out loud, but just say this in your heart if you're in agreement. I commit now to being in unity with my brothers and sisters in this body, but also with brothers and sisters in other churches around this region. Forgive me for being an antagonist, for wanting to argue over petty things, for getting offended by small stuff, for being suspicious when there was nothing to be suspicious about. Forgive me for getting mad when I should have been at peace. I lay those things at your cross and I say now I, I choose to be in unity with brothers and sisters of Christ. And I thank you, Lord, one of the results, one of the outcomes of being in unity with my brothers and sisters is that I can expect the refreshing of the Lord, the dew of the Lord to come. We love the anointing, but Lord, right now we crave refreshment. I pray for those that have just been going through a very difficult, tough time in their life. Challenges in, in at different realms, financially, health-wise, relationally, with jobs, with all sorts of different elements, with children. All those challenges, we just, as our hands are raised, we lift those to you now. And we say, let your refreshing come as we've chosen, as we've said we choose to be a people of unity. We say now, Lord, let the refreshing of the Lord come. Would you just ask for that? If that's what you want, see, I can pray and that's great, but you've got the same connection with God. Just ask God for his refreshing. Ask God for his, the tal, his dew to come on your life. You just do that quietly in your heart. It's going to take a moment for each one of us to do that as necessary. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God.
love you, Lord. We pray now that those burdens will be lifted. And as that refreshing dew comes, those that walked in here with heavy burdens would walk out feeling light in the Spirit of God. We thank you, God, for this church family. I pray you would help each one of us to know how to push more and more into unity. And we declare, behold, how good and pleasant it is for those that are in Christ's fellowship to dwell together in unity. And we take hold of that challenge now in the name of Jesus, and we choose to be unity dwellers together. Amen. Well, God bless you. Keep praying for John and Christine as they're away uh, right now. And uh, you could do one of two things now. You could dash off and annoy someone as you drive out. Or you could put into action a bit of unity and just maybe organize, arrange something with somebody, just connect with somebody at some level. So God bless you. Do as God leads you. We love you. Have a great rest of the week. Bless you.